0: Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Yves Eurydice. I am a writer and artist from the the Greek island of Lesbos. Um, One of the facts that changed my life completely and has led me to creating this podcast, the other factor is the advent of the Me Too movement. Um, And the way that it has redefined our... Needs as women, our boundaries as women, our, phys- our understanding of our physical boundaries and our physical needs. So, my response was that possibly this was the first time where women could take back our genetic advantage, which is sex, the power of sex, the power of procreation, you know, mm-hmm. the power of saving life <laughs> and the planet um, through voicing the sexual energy that we have, um, which is our difference and which is what patriarchy is most afraid of. So um, thank you for listening. Today's guest is Alexandra Gelbard. She is a sociologist. Um, she's working at FAU currently, and she's focused on issues of the African diaspora, and particularly as they are um, in the culture, as they are seen in the culture in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would uh, love to discuss issues of, you know, sociological integration or lack thereof for women of color in, you know, America and the islands welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, um, wh- what is your, you know, what is your journey? What brought you to this study, which apparently now you've done for a couple of decades?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Um, yeah. I've been working in Cuba since 2005. Mm. Um, well, actually, no. I'm sorry. Since 2002. Working on my graduate school process since 2005. Um, yeah, since 2002, it was an opportunity that arose kind of last minute. I was still in college, and um, a woman who then became my mentor. Um, I'm no longer working with her though. Uh, she invited me to go to Cuba. Um, she said, "Hey, you have two days to decide. We leave in three weeks." And I'd never thought about Cuba, but I went for the first time as a 21 year old, um, and it completely opened up my world. Um, uh-huh. Everything changed, and I fell in love with the country. I fell in love with the people. I could hear, I remember the first trip, I was sitting on a corner and I could hear music, um, like a symphony of everyday life uh-huh. through the way that the trucks were rolling past, the sound of people walking on the sidewalks, the, you know, just the ambient noise. It uh-huh. just, clicked and I, mm-hmm. I it felt much
0: more real and authentic right
1: yeah I just I had never I had never experienced anything like that before
0: where were you where did you go to Cuba from
1: um, I was an undergraduate at, at Colby College in mm-hmm. Waterville Maine oh wow um, I was yeah. from Washington D.C. originally mm. and come to learn that um, kind of the music that I grew up with in D.C. go-go um, one of the foundational components is that, that conga beat the mm. percussion beat is derived from Cuba, and it goes back into the 1920s. It's not a history that's really cognitive, um, but through my research, I realized that that connection was made. So GoGo really taught me how to move, it taught me mm. how to feel rhythm, mm. and it all connected back to Cuba. So it made sense that I ended up you know, working mm. there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely a, a language in a country that's touched by the gods because, yeah. I mean, for such a small community and, you know, both geographically and in population, mm-hmm. what a destiny in the 20th century, especially yeah. right, big player <laughs> yeah. for its size, <laughs> yeah. and still is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and during your all, all the time you spent there, you had a lot of access to the women in in the culture, right? Yeah. The way that the lives differ and are alike with ours.
1: Definitely. Um, You know, when I started going, it was through research. Uh And I started um, helping on a project looking at the African-inspired religious practices, mostly in eastern Cuba in the city of Santiago. And um, my project, you know, developed and I focused more on um, the popular cultural relationship to religion through this genre called Conga. Uh Um, And I ended up working primarily in spaces of all men. Um, which, now looking back, had a really huge influence on you know how I grew up, and as a 21 year old, and not really having had a lot of um, experiences at that part, at that point in my life with relationships, and uh-huh. um, you know it it helped me learn how to find my kind of sexual voice, mm. um, and being in those all male spaces, and being a white woman on top of that. Um, I learned very quickly about positionality and what it meant to be, kind of have my body exotified, um, be treated in ways that I always had to prove myself. Um, And fortunately, one of the the good things that my professor did was say, you know, it's not a good idea to have sexual relationships with people in the field. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so, like, you know. um, Yeah, it
0: took professors, like, uh, (laughs) quite a few decades to... Figure that out, but yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she was very emphatic. Um, good. You know, in the beginning, like I did, um, I was, you know, bright-eyed 21-year-old. I was getting hit on all the time. I did fall into it a little bit, but then I very quickly learned probably about my third or fourth trip that it was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so I very quickly just stopped. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Corrupted all yeah. the evidence, <laughs> so to speak. Almost,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I really got to the brink of, of you know, messing things up pretty yeah. badly. So, yeah. But I was also, you know, looking back, I realized like I was learning and yeah. I was coming into. You my were home learning, and um, you know, making that decision has been one of the best decisions I've made. Um, I make very clear delineations, even now, as I'm, you know, very much sexualized and exotified, Um for a variety of reasons, you know, it, it, it it's taught me a lot about myself. And um, every time I go back, I learn something new about that dynamic. Wow. Um, even these last couple trips, you know, last month and a couple weeks ago, um, some things happened that I just, you know, really helped me learn a lot about patriarchy and cross-cultural patriarchy. Um,
0: well, Can you give us examples,
1: please? Yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, going through working in in a predominantly all-male, um, field site or, you know, group and scenario, um, there's this thing in, you know, in ethnographic research they call the daughterly ethnographer Mm. where we're considered, um, not knowing very much and being, you know, the men have to take us under their wing and make sure we're cared for and, um, Mm. coddle us Mm. and it influences the way that we're seen and the, the, how we're able to do research. Um, when I was doing my, the last of my dissertation work in 2013, I always had to have one of the musicians accompanying me er- everywhere. Um, I wasn't allowed to... Why? Of, because they, they were like, oh, the streets are dangerous and you can't walk by yourself. This is a manifestation of, of the Cuban... You know, Machismo. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's like, they call it caballerismo, mm, this idea of chivalry. Exactly, right? gentlemanliness. Yeah. And Please, <laughs> yeah, spare me the yes. Of course, yeah, it's so. like you
0: know, you're such a little damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. You're so rapeable, right?
1: And here I stand at you know six feet. Oh yeah, you're I'm an Amazon woman. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I know how to box. I know how to fight. I grew up in D.C. in the nineties. Uh, yeah, it's so, great. I you know and I'm street smarts, and um, and then so you have, have like that, that little chaperone fight. musician <laughs> right. taking you everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, um, I had to stand in a certain spot within the events, and. Um, If I, you know, tried to get a different vantage point, I would have someone running after me, pulling me back. No way. I would have to escape there. No way. (laughs) Literally (laughs) weave and dodge out of situations in order to do my work. Um, Even to this day, by one of the leaders, I'm still not introduced as an academic or a researcher. I'm not afforded that legitimacy. I'm considered a friend of the conga. um, Wow. And asked to hold bags and you know take pictures and things like that wow so um you know going through but if
0: you were a male this would not be happening not
1: at all Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah so and yet
0: it's the only way that you get access Mm -hmm. you gotta you know do as the romans do Mm -hmm. in order to get in and record and keep you know make
1: make make the archive yeah which we need yeah so you know um even now like Coming through uh, this last trip, um, you know, I haven't been in necessarily in uh, data collection mode necessarily. Just walking through the streets, um, there was an instance where I was walking down the street and a man approached me, said, "Oh, I like your body," and I just kept going. Um, a few blocks later, sorry, he it's just not funny, but just the way
0: that they, they, oh, they yes. don't think about it. You're mm-hmm. out in the street, therefore you're mm-hmm. accessible.
1: Yeah. Um, a few blocks later, you know, I thought I turned the corner, I walked and all of a sudden he just rolls up in on the street. Like he had followed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he approaches me again and said, no, I, I really like your body. And I had to say, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a relationship now. And I said, oh, I, you know, so does my husband. I kind of fudged that, you know, the nature of our relationship. <laughs> <when> I'm married. <laughs> Not married yet. Um, and he's, and by having that legitimacy of a husband, he said, "Oh, you know i'm I apologize you see to your you husband. belong to a man exactly
0: but if you but you can't belong to yourself
1: exactly, and it actually took me telling that to my partner for him to say, Wow like you I, you have to be legitimated by belonging to a man mm-hmm. exactly what you just might said. might as
0: well be in Saudi yeah. Arabia, you know I mean we don 't mm-hmm. have those laws, but mm-hmm. that 's the way they
1: think, anyway, yeah." So, you know, I kept walking down the street and I went a few more blocks and another man said, oh, I like your body. And I kept walking. (laughs) And then I start hearing, I turn the corner, I start walking uphill, I start hearing these these yells behind me. And this man is following me, screaming at me, saying, why won't you stop and talk to me? I said, I liked your body.
0: The second man now. Yeah,
1: the second man. And I said, excuse me, at this point I had, you know, I had to get home for something. And I said, it has nothing, you know, I don't want to stop and talk to you. And he said, Oh, is it because I'm black? I said, no, absolutely not. It's because I have, I'm in a relationship and I don't want to stop to talk to you. I have something to do. And he just kept yelling at me and I just kept going. Um, I kept walking, you know, really fast. He dropped off. Another man happened to be standing on the corner at that moment. Another seven blocks later I turn and this, this other man, so this is the third, it's all in a sequence, appears alongside of me who had also been following me in the dark. Um, And so I looked for the first, you know, elders that I could find and I stopped and greeted them as if we knew each other and told them what was happening. They said, you know, just wait here. Um, And, you know, that the third man at this point passed um, and then they gave me the go ahead to continue on. And all of a sudden another man pops up and starts talking about how he wants to sleep under my bed, not in my bed with me, but under my bed. And I'm really freaked out at this point because, like, I don't want people to know where I live and I haven't been accosted like this ever in Cuba. Cuba's always felt incredibly safe to me, but this was the first time that I felt unsafe. Um, and I know it's, an, you know, an outlier incident, but... It, no, the it's fact not. That, well, <laughs> at least, like, in, you know, for me, it, I'd never had that, you know, one by one by one. They kept saying, I like your body. And it made me realize, you know, this dynamic of entitlement that men feel Mm -hmm. of that this is a mechanism of cuban patriarchy Mm -hmm. that they feel entitled when they express interest that i have to stop whatever i'm doing and and respond yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and be and be flattered yeah and a lot of that has to do with the, the dynamics of foreigners coming into Cuba for sex tourism. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a dynamic happening um, that's increased now, and unfortunately it's being promoted by a lot of travel agencies and people who are responsible for exchanges um, to say, oh, Cuba's an amazing place to come and fall in love. Mm-hmm. And because of the nature of the economy right now, you know, a lot of Cubans look to foreigners as commodities and Uh they use relationships in order to establish a financial lifeline Uh um, to facilitate remittances and so I get it you know I'm not I can't comment it on either way because I'm not Cuban I I you know have lived there many over many years but I don't know what it's like to live there consistently and have those economic realities so it's not my place to judge really but I do know that I don't want to be a part of it and that's why that's one of the reasons why I don't have romantic or sexual relationships with Cubans. Uh-huh. Um, well, I have to say, sorry to interrupt, uh-huh. but I want to put my
0: little narrative in here yeah. um, so we can expand it a little. Absolutely. That that is Cuba, but, you know, I come from far away in the world, right? Mm-hmm. A country equally small and equally famous for strange reasons. We are famous for our antiquity. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I grew up exactly like that, and these were my people. So, um, and yes, there is this the the we now call it you know sex tourism, but like when I was a kid with club med and all that, you know the the tourists from the, the Scandinavian countries, the you know all the northern countries in Europe, girls would come alone basically to sleep with the Greek men. I don't know why. I don't know what that mythology was and how their men are. I. Didn't, it was in reverse, like we didn't go up there to sleep yeah. with their men. <laughs> so I can't like compare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do know that partly because of that, but also partly because those old patriarchal cultures are so insular, you know, we were their women and were subjected to one kind of very strict laws and rules. Mm-hmm. But then the foreign women who were not part of our culture were not subjected to those rules at all, but they were all whores. Like, they were there mm-hmm. for the taking. Mm-hmm. So y- they could have any woman who was from outside, uh, no questions asked, you know, if she was willing. And then those of us who were not represented by our keepers, mm-hmm. our fathers, our brothers, our whoever, you know. I mean, I was a tr- I was really young. There was no issue of, like, a boyfriend or, mm-hmm. or, a, or a husband. Um, But it doesn't matter, you know, once you are a teenager and your body presents, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, with like boobs and ass, um, and you walk down the street to go to like your school or after school lessons or whatever it is, you are being treated this way all the way there and all the way back. And so, well, this is when your mind, you know, your neural pathways are still being formed. You have 10 more years of your brain being formed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's extremely effective, you know, and you understand that there is you, as you know yourself, your understanding of a self, a you. Mm-hmm. and then there is your body, which is not your body, it's the body that's, that's attached to you. Mm-hmm. And the way at least I experienced it, and I think most women, when growing up like this, experienced it, is that that body is just a goddamn burden. Mm-hmm. That makes you vis- visible, that gets you in trouble with the guys, that makes you self-conscious and ashamed and always like, mm-hmm. you know, pointed out and picked on and asked really crazy, horrible things of, right? Um, and since you're not even sexual, you don't even feel empowered yet. Like, you know, maybe 10 years later, you'll feel kind of like a sexual power out of this. Mm-hmm. But at this stage, you just start the loading of the body. Just when the body is no longer childish... Mm-hmm. you start to hate it because it gets in your way of everything yeah. it will get you in trouble with your dad if he found out you know like everyone would punish you for something that you you're just still just a kid yeah um and i think that's the beginning of the actual lived experience of this split between body and mind mm-hmm. that the patriarchy has you know sh- has forced upon us mm-hmm. um because that's its best way of controlling the female body, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, if, if it happens to you so young, it's very hard to overcome it. It's very hard to actually, you know, get back to a holistic place where you're like, yes, you know, I am B, I am me and my body is me and mm-hmm. everything that I feel is right there in this flesh and I understand the boundaries and this body is only mine, not those guys' or not the husbands' or not the fathers' or whoever, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't belong to, like, the cameras or TV, <laughs> it's just so hard because yeah. they've already claimed it. When you don't know what's, you know, the difference, when you think, well, they're older, there are more of them, they know right from wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that what you experienced, I mean, for you may have been unusual, but it's actually so common in those, especially in those, you know, heavily masculine cultures, yeah. um, which most all world cultures are. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think it was it was a shock because it had never happened to that extent before. Mm. And it made me think about, you know, and really since the Me Too movement came out. Exactly. I have been thinking and reevaluating all of these incidences. Me too. That I just took <laughs> for granted as normal. Right. Times where my ass got slapped out in public mm-hmm. and, you know, I was physically grabbed and I objectified. And it took a conversation with my ex, my then partner, to say, know, does this really happen? And I remember sitting there, we were sitting in a park, and I remember saying, like, yes, this happens all the time. And he couldn't understand. And I'm thinking, you know, he's actually done some things that fall into these these categories of violating bodily autonomy. And they're subtle. Um, And so the conversations that it prompted and these kind of reconceptualizations, there were some days where I had to forcibly turn off my brain to think about it because i just couldn't i was getting overloaded um yeah that's another thing yeah. that
0: we do you know you go out of body mm-hmm. i mean like that's what my mom told me about sex it's just you know think of something else mm. and <laughs> let it happen because you don't want to resist it. Mm. it it get it gets worse you know you don't want to fight it you just gotta endure i'm like mm-hmm. that, uh, that that's my sex ed mm. but yeah that's what happened mm-hmm. to them yeah
1: so it's it's been, you know, in rethinking all of these dynamics of being a professional, like my career is very much mm-hmm. a, a huge part of my identity. And um, so struggling with these dynamics of what I'm going to put up with for the field and what I'm not going to put up with anymore. Um, you know, I was paying attention a lot to people's responses to this, this example uh, of what just happened last month. And even, you know, the men who I thought would say, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, they just said, "Oh, you know, well, they're just crazy," and just brushed it off. I'm hmm. like, "That's the problem."
0: Let let men be men.
1: Yeah, like, oh, they're just crazy. Oh, you know, no, y'all gotta h- hold each other accountable. Yes, that's what it's gonna take. Yes, and if you don't, then it's just gonna keep happening.
0: Exactly.
1: And so now I'm struggling with, you know. <sighs> Do you just, th- you know, throw these dudes away? Like, what do you do with that? Do you try to push them to be better? But then it's not my culture. So do I have a place to do that? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't so. know. Um,
0: I think you'll make enemies. If yeah. You, t- you know.
1: So these are things I've been thinking about, um, especially since it's so fresh. But, you know, and especially with all the legislation that came out just in the last couple of days, um, and thinking about these global patterns, because you know, white supremacy is, is supported the and right. maintains itself globally, and so does patriarchy. Mm. Oh yeah! So oh my like, god! You know, they're all interlinked. Speaking
0: of Saudi Arabia, it's like <sighs> w- I mean, it's more repressive than ever in, mm-hmm. in in recent I mean, in recent memory. Clearly, we're talking about twentieth mm-hmm. century, but a lot of these countries that we thought were on a progressive path mm-hmm. have completely relapsed into you know severe repressive. Tactics, All of them, you know, led by this patriarchy that feels threatened. And I'm not, I mean, this is not something that I can say with any um, knowledge because I haven't looked into it, but I'm not surprised that that might be as a a result of Me Too. Mm -hmm. That, you know, they feel more threatened, so they Mm -hmm. double up.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, there's also, I think... I mean, that's what, don't you think
0: that, like, in part, uh, we have the president we have as... Is a response to you know the progress in women's voices
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean th- when we look back into patterns of history there's always anytime there's the liberation of personhood there's always a white lash mm. and this kind of wave of, of oppression mm-hmm. um trying to stifle it mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're experiencing right now i saw someone post about the legislation that came out in georgia and ohio and oh yeah. and just a couple you know in the last couple days As saying, this is punishment for the Me Too movement.
0: Why? What does that the Me Too movement Um, have to do with abortion rights and all of that stuff? For
1: women standing up for themselves and women holding men um, accountable—that this is punishment for Um, that—and it's just another lash of oppression being inflicted. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know there's also I deal with you know I, I work a lot in religion too, so there's a lot of of dynamics of spirituality. And one thing I do in my own like personal self and and academic self is look at kind of global patterns of of spiritual calls. Mm. And you know going back to two thousand and twelve when we had the so-called Mayan apocalypse, right but that was only an oh, apocalypse. The apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> that was only an apocalypse from the viewpoint of white supremacy. Exactly. But what it was talking about was this rise of of the divine feminine and spiritual mm. empowerment in women and mm. kind of coming back into women's power. Um and when you looked at subsequent, you know, social movements, for example, from Standing Rock, um you know, you saw a lot of elder indigenous women leaders speaking about the relationship to the earth and embracing our power and mm-hmm. I think that is intimately linked with the Me Too movement. With I agree the way yeah. that you know these yeah. kind of legislative dynamics are mm-hmm. happening, um, because women, you know, the divine feminine is is a powerful force to be reckoned with. Oh yeah, and she hasn't <laughs> gone anywhere. <Let laughs> <Nope. me. laughs> but I think part of our power. All these
0: mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. men making a few extra dollars and making rules and mm-hmm. laws and punishing and jailing. Yeah. She could just blow it all out of the way, <laughs>
1: but it's hard for us as, as at least you know for me, I grapple with it and struggle with embracing that power and living the reality of of those kind of well it's hard to tactics embrace tactics
0: the power publicly, sexually. especially if you're like an academic mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um you know and and be like a a pro- professor bruja. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean, I think that it's, but I don't think it's going to be hard for much longer. You know, I really feel that this generation, like the, especially the, you know, the millennials and post millennials, whatever mm-hmm. they are called, um, will come to it much more naturally because of global warming, because mm-hmm. they are, you know, so uh, keenly aware of patriarchy having put the entire planet at risk, you mm-hmm. know, of dying. Um, and the only way to balance that out is to go back to nature and ask nature, like, how can we honor you? What do we do? You know, we want to write what, you know, what's been done so badly. Yeah. Um, and it is the Kali Yuga age. So it's I think it's like the era where it's supposed to start shifting mm-hmm. that consciousness um, away from the Judeo-Christian complete patriarchal control of faith, you know there is one God. He's a dude, you know, and he's nasty and vengeful. Mm-hmm. That's the Old Testament. And then there is <laughs> another God, and he's a dude, <laughs> mm-hmm. white and white. Um, and the, and this one is like suffering on our behalf because he's all about guilt tripping and shaming, mm-hmm. you know. And it, I mean, it's not, you know him per se, but how they've been interpreted, right, these faiths, I mean, to a a more, you know, pagan understanding, both of these gods are the gods of nature, you know, the vegetation Mm -hmm. god that, like, dies in the winter, is reborn in spring, Easter Mm -hmm. time, resurrection, all of that, but, you know, the way it was interpreted by the church authority, yeah, um, It's like, you know, you're a woman, it's your fault, you betrayed, you know, you can't get close to the altar, you can't, you know, help in worship, you, Mm. you know, you just go out there and menstruate in hiding and be quiet. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) Who Mm -mm. gave birth to you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the presumption of it all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I agree with you. I think that You know, it's important to worship nature, and I think that we're slowly going, inevitably going in that direction, but there's going to be a lot of backlash before we get there.
1: But I I keep encountering women who have just this raw, efficacious power inside of them. Mm. They, And it's coming to a surface. Mm. And for whatever reason, we encounter each other, and part of my function is to help... um, just be kind of a reflective person or encounter to say, no, like embrace that and, and go with it. And you're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and cause that's, what's going to save us. Mm-hmm. You know? I really, I really believe in that divine feminine energy. And when it's, when you're surrounded by it as a woman, mm. um, you know, across all of the gender spectrum, the divine feminine, you know, it, it's not limited to women. It, mm-hmm. it inhabits everybody, really, and it's all of those who really embrace it, the goddess, and, yeah, yeah, and bring it forward. I mean, that's what's going to save us all, um, because that's nature, that's cycles. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, I, one of the tensions I I have to manage in Cuba is is feeling that because my you know my spiritual orientation is very much linked to to Cuba. And working inside of that and inside of my own personal growth while managing this patriarchal society and structure that is either overtly or covertly or unconsciously, you know, working to stifle it. Mm. And so there's very few spaces where I feel comfortable um, inside of that feminine energy there. Um, And very few spaces even here that I feel comfortable inside of it. Mm -hmm. But when I do and we're in it, man, can't hold it back. Yeah. So,
0: how do you find the women in Cuba, and and also the religious practices that you've been um, part of?
1: You know, Cuban women, I have the most up incredible respect for, because um, they have to deal with all of this patriarchy. Um, and I see women who have kind of resigned themselves inside of it, and it breaks my heart. Um, and I see women who actively fight against it, and I stand with them. or I stand with all of them, um, but who are constantly and overtly pushing back. Um, you know, I had one encounter a couple years ago when I was in a car, a shared ride car, and um, I hadn't spoken, and I told the driver where I wanted to be dropped off, and then the man sitting next to me leaned over and whispered in my ear, oh, I was going to say something, but now that I know you're a foreigner i'll be respectful i'm like wait a second but if you thought i was a cuban woman you weren't going to be respectful so i know that's the shit Mm -hmm. yeah okay um that's the shit that cuban women have to deal with every day and like damn no boundaries um so you know it's And what
0: about the spiritual practice are they in charge of that or are they men are also in charge of it
1: um You know, it depends on the community. It depends Mm. on the particular line. Mm. Um, That's something that I'm starting to, as my work shifts back into um, religion overtly, I'm really interested in the role of women um, in these practices. And even historically in in my dissertation work, I realized that women are always behind the scenes. And without women, like none, none of the community formation would have happened. None of the properties would have been gathered inside of the particular community that I study. And women always have an absolute fundamental role in all of it, right? In all the spiritual practices. Um, But ironically, one of the major controversies right now is the presence of the Iyanifas, or the new presence of the Iyanifas, which in the... um, So within the Yoruba-based practices, um, when they were initially brought to Cuba in the... Really strongly in the early 1800s, it was primarily men who were enslaved. And so you know, the male lines and knowledge was, was brought initially, particularly within the Ifa tradition. Um, Regla de Ocha, which is the companion side, so it's the, the relationship to the Orishas or the spirits of nature, um, that had traditionally been dominated by women, although there comes a moment in the 1940s where due to certain social dynamics, um, men started kind of taking over that too. But that's a history I actually am learning about right now. I don't know too much about Um but on the Ifa side, you know, it has to be men, right? So in the in the 90s, um, you know, the Yoruba, the, the Nigerians start entering into Cuba on this kind of course correction mm-hmm. um, attempt to say, oh, well, we come with an authenticity direct from the continent. And the Cuban protection, practitioners are saying, well, you know, we have our own thing going. So then there, there comes up this kind of dual. There's Nigerian Ifa now and there's Cuban Ifa. Mm. And so... With the Nigerian Ifa line um, from the continent, there's there's parallel things, but there's also distinctions. This is then brought in the Iyanifas, which are contrary to what people gloss you know generalize. They're not female Babalaos. They're Iyanifa is its own category of um, of divination, its own relationship to spirits, and it has become a huge controversy in Cuba. And the male Baba Laos are freaking out because they're saying, "No, this is a violation." But you know, from the from the Nigerian line, there's no conflict because it's a balance of the masculine and feminine. Um, and so, this is a conversation that's actively happening as we speak throughout the island. Um, I personally don't see a conflict because I know that we all have our rules, and knowing that it's not just a female Lao, like, Iyanifas are their own thing, um, there shouldn't be a conflict. And Wanda Abimbola, who's considered this very highly revered Lao from Nigeria, he's also a scholar, he consults an Iyanifa. Um, I know several who have been initiated, and there's no conflict. Um, but I think what it's doing is challenging some of the ways that um, patriarchy is imbued within the spiritual frameworks. And so... To have, you know, this role come out, um, it's shaking some things up. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm, curi- I'm attending a conference in July, so we'll see hmm. how the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that, that confrontation of the patriarchy always uh, receives a huge backlash. And mm-hmm. I think this is a, a place of entry where it can really, in terms of the spiritual practices, mm-hmm. it could really um, make some positive changes.
0: Mm-hmm. And is there a strong community in Miami who practice the the old religion?
1: Um, like or IFA? Yeah. Uh or yeah, I mean there's a lot of, of practitioners here mm-hmm. and which comes with its own set of politics. Um I'm not really inside of that community. Um, you know, my spiritual stuff is connected to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, where I work in Cuba um very you know and we all have our own preferences and communities right, and yeah, our paths yeah, are what yeah, they are yeah. um so i'm just I wondering
0: if you have outside outsider's knowledge of you know how the community works in in miami you know the expat yeah spiritual <laughs> the expat spiritual <laughs> practice <laughs> well i
1: know that um you know miami has a reputation for doing its own thing mm. um they m- and you there's a book called um uh, the cooking of history how not to study afro-cuban religion mm. by stefan Palme, and he talks about the miami cuban community and how they made a break from the island um, in order to have their own autonomy and not be reliant upon going back and forth and so um you know i just i respect it for what it is mm-hmm. but i don't mm-hmm. get into the And how do they <laughs> get the?
0: how do they get along with the catholic church um
1: <laughs> or you know <laughs> <laughs> not very well <laughs> uh, you know there are people who so we're talking about institutions I think as an institution the African based Cuban practices um, don't are not viewed very well by the contemporary Catholic Church mm-hmm. even though historically um, you know Catholicism was imposed and there's this whole there's a whole series of dynamics and histories that is kind of beyond what you know we have time for today <laughs> um but in one of the projects that well, that's I what on I
0: t- i'm sorry to interrupt that's what i touched on though that in a sense catholicism was like new names and you know new power exchange but between the same archetypes to begin yeah. with right yeah
1: um one of the things i'm working on in terms of the west central african practices um i'm delving into ideas that you know frame it a little with a little bit more nuance and complexity um so this idea of syncretism and just the over overarching Uh you know flip back and forth um i think there's much more nuance to it Uh but you know this is something i'm working on right now so i can't really speak with too much confidence um but i know contemporarily with the dynamics of um of one of the the projects that I have uh, in Regla, Cuba, where Yamaya lives. Um, it's the Church of Regla. In the processional that we that we um, do, it's the processional of the Orishas that has been re- reinitiated um, is, uh, from the Cabildo de Yamaya. So this is one of the central points of entry of um, Regla de Ocha and Ifa from the Yoruba lines. And it was a space that women really um, led and guided Mm. and this processional that's been reinitiated now for the last three years um the catholic church in regla wants absolutely nothing to do with and they said, you know leave us out of it sometimes spiritual work mandates you leave something on the steps of the church they were like don't do that so it's a conflict and there's definitely tension Mm -hmm. happening um especially also since the irony is that for the church processional that happens every on the 7th of september um people come Uh, to revere yamaya so not (laughs) as the virgin of regula but as yamaya yeah and they're seen you know both ways but you see people come out praying the yamaya with their Mm -hmm. um the dolls that have imbued like ancestor spirits inside of them Mm -hmm. um you see all of that but Mm -hmm. yet the catholic church wants nothing to do with Mm -hmm. the definitively you know regula the ocha processional that happens two days later yeah um there's also the rise of evangelicalism evangelicalism Oh. in Cuba right now yeah. that is having a major impact on LGBTIQ rights um, on people throwing away their elements from the African inspired religious practices and um, you know it's it's having from what I see a detrimental impact uh-huh. on Cuba oh yeah, um, yeah that's like uh, sorry
0: <laughs> that's like scorched Earth mm-hmm. you know it 's when because Christianity, I mean, yes, you know if you 're a heretic, you would be burned on the stake, but only really if you 're making yourself visible and asking for power and mm-hmm. beca- making yourself a threat in some way, but otherwise, like at the local level of this village or that village, they basically allowed everyone to continue their practices so long as they call them Christian, mm-hmm. right. So like the village where I come from on Lesbos um, has three or four practices that my village has the same name in Homer that it has today. So it's, you know, continuous kind of civilization uh, for 3000 years. So there are descriptions from back then of like the people running with the bulls, Mm. Um, you know, the bull sacrifice, the bull dance, variations of like. you know uh, decorating the bull throwing flowers at the bull sacrificing the bull killing the bull from like pre-olympian god neolithic Mm -hmm. times and it continues now but it's on the day of a christian saint Mm -hmm. it's a christian christian saint but it's a local saint so Mm -hmm. like the church doesn't care it's perfectly fine you know we do it every year or like on easter they burn a huge effigy of judah Mm -hmm. you know who like uh made of wood um But exactly similar customs were happening in, you know, springtime festivals in ancient Greece, you know, pagan Greece. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are many examples like that um, of how we've continued the superstitions, you know, the miracle making, just different names, a few alterations here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and many temples later became churches, you know, like with each religion, a few decoration symbols change, but it's the same basic space, you know of worship, um, I think what they care about is power. Mm-hmm. But with evangelicals, it's much more fanatic than that. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, leave nothing. Not an idol, not, you know, custom, not a whatever saint or minor this and that. It has to be like, you know, this, like reborn uh, Christian no uh, fascist kind of spiritual fascist. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah that definitely is, is frightening especially in a place as you know rich uh, culturally rich and and c- culturally salvaged yeah. as Cuba.
1: Yeah. Um I mean the so the Cuba had you know it has a new constitution and one of the amendments was for marriage equality and that amendment got um taken out because of pressure from the evangelical cur- church. No. And so, uh, this Saturday was supposed to be, I don't know if this Saturday or sometime in the next few days, there was supposed to be this, um, LGBT parade that happens every year, their conga. And it got canceled, said to be pressure from the evangelical church. So they're, they're doing a, huh? a march anyway on Saturday. Um, but this was one of, you know, the spaces of visibility of pride. It's like Cuban pride, mm-hmm. um, all pressure because of the evangelical church. And you Where know Where do
0: these people get their money?
1: Well, a lot of it has to do with the regulations during the Bush administration mm. and the way that travel to Cuba was um, was regulated. Evangelical missionaries were allowed to go into Cuba and so there was consistent presence of evangelicals um, from the at least from the US mm. you know, into Cuba doing quote unquote missionary work. And now we're starting to see the r- the impact of that. Uh-huh.
0: Um, and see, you have studied it in Cuba, but I imagine this something ha- has happened worldwide.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the global implications of it, but um,
0: I don't either. But I imagine that Republican administrations gave precedence and you know perks mm-hmm. to evangelicals who vote for them and who want, mm-hmm. in exchange, to be free to like, go abroad and preach and convert.
1: Yeah, and we're seeing that we see the same thing in Haiti um i just watched a documentary with my partner about it um of you know u.s evangelicals going down to haiti especially after the earthquake Mm -hmm. and talking about how voodoo was the culprit for the earthquake and convert to evangelical christianity to better your society and they're pumping money into it so they're the ones building hospitals and schools Mm -hmm. they're saying well what has voodoo ever given you Mm -hmm. so it's a cnn episode um and it does a it does a a decent job of showing a balance between the two and showing, you know, well, Voodoo doesn't have the kind of outside remittance access that the evangelical church does. And so no, we can't be building hospitals and schools, but we also support, you know, the identity of our peoples and our and our roots and our heritage. Um
0: And you don't want to anger your ancestors, Mm -hmm. let me just say. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Evangelical, Mm shmevangelical. Yeah. You don't want that wrath on your house. Jehovah's Witnesses are
1: everywhere in Cuba now. And always, you know, asking for converts and trying to preach the word to you. Uh So I'm polite and say, you know, no thank you. Uh And keep it moving, but...
0: Well, that's the colonizer's religion. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell the colonizer from the non by the you know by answering this question: Do their gods want to convert everyone? Mm-hmm. You know, like if your gods, if you do not send missionaries around the world, then that's who you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's the I mean that's what we have been calling the patriarchy. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter, you know, if it's like capitalism or if it's the, you know religion or if it's like what what seems to us like right from wrong what they have taught us to call morality, you know, it's these like double standards.
1: Mhm. Yeah, we can't talk about white supremacy without talking about patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I'm here to dismantle all of it. <laughs> thank you, thank
0: you. You know, and especially in this time where we d- we don't know what has really happened and where it's taking mm-hmm. us, we should speak up. You know, we yeah. have, a, I think, a responsibility to get out of our comfort zone and you know, bear testimony and mm-hmm. just say we're here. Um, and we speak for, a, I think, for the silent majority. You know, we speak for a lot more women who you know for all kinds of reasons aren't able to speak for themselves but this is what they stand for yeah yeah and also are, you know are, are her story mm-hmm. <laughs> are unwritten mm-hmm. you know her story so yeah.
1: yeah no that's definitely some as you know on a professional level um moving more towards centering women especially centering black women inside of my work um, I have several projects pending that is bringing that uh, that her story up mm-hmm. and to front and center um, because without women, yeah, you know, nothing would have happened. Yeah,
0: yeah, and mm-hmm. the ones in power are fighting us now, so we gotta keep fighting okay. back. Yeah, yeah, but we do it lovingly, <laughs> <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'm gonna close. I think that's a good uh, conclusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So thank you for coming.
1: Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. Yeah, it was
0: a wonderful conversation. Come back. I know you're leaving for Cuba in a couple of days. So, But we'll speak again next year. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for trusting me as your sex and gender whisperer. (laughs) And uh, until I speak to you next Friday, be well and speak sex. Ciao. make love incessantly I would be God